think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems. But pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. You stopped asking directions to places they've never been. Hello, sweet world. Welcome back to We Can Do Hard Things. I think today we'll call this We Can Do Funny Things um, because we have one of the funniest people in the universe here. Someone, the three of us love to high heavens. Yeah. So first of all, I'll just tell you, we have Sam Irby here. Uh, I know. (laughs) Um, Laugh out loud, author. All right. Samantha Irby writes, the bitches gotta eat blog and is the author of Wow, No Thank You. We are never meeting in real life (laughs) and needy. She has been a writer and or co-producer for TV shows, including And Just Like That, Work in Progress, Shrill, and Tuka and Birdie. Sam Irby. Welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. Thank you for having me on your incredible show. I am very intimidated. I'm going to do my best to sound like cool and relaxed, but I'm nervous. (laughs) Okay, so, well, let's get the cool out of the way right away. Because what I want to start with, Sam, is our friendship origin story, which (laughs) is my favorite story in the world. Okay, so... Sam and I did an event together at the end of the event. I loved her so much. I sent her my phone number, an email. Months and months later, lo so many months later, I am sitting in France at the World Cup, okay? Next as you to do. my wife. As, as you, you do. do. Right. I'm at the soccer as per usual. But it's a big <laughs> soccer, okay? Like it's, the biggest soccer. It's the biggest soccer. Like the Super Bowl of soccer. The Oscars <laughs> of soccer, if you will. Yes. The Grammys. I mean, also, it's just the World Cup. The Grammys yeah. of the soccer. The World Cup is, it's a standalone event. Okay. <laughs> this is what everything else compares so itself like to. So like the Tonys. Like the Tonys <laughs> Oh my God, soccer. just go with the story. Just- and I get a text, okay? And it says something like the following. Hello, Glennon. I'm sorry to escalate our friendship on text in this way, but I'm an emergency. I'm sitting in a room full of people. And I may have told the people that I am very good friends with you and Abby. <laughs> and now 
They are calling me on it and asking me to call you. So can you please answer your phone and act like we're good friends? (laughs) (laughs) I mean. I mean, do you remember Abby sitting there and being like, well, now she's our favorite person in the entire world. Instant. (laughs) Instant. I try to lead with honesty, even when it's humiliating. I don't even, I remember, I remember it exactly. I was in the work in progress writer's room and someone mentioned you too. And like, to be cool, I was like, oh, you mean my friends? And they were like, uh, mm -hmm." and then I had to text you and be like, um, please, (laughs) could you act like we're best friends? so that I can impress these people who think I'm a huge liar. And you did, and they were impressed. Of course. Of course, we were sending pictures, like we can't believe you couldn't come with us. Here's your extra seat. This game sucks without you. Yeah, yeah. I've loved you ever since that moment. Um, Okay, so Sam, we want to start this interview with one of our favorite (laughs) questions, which is this. It was a question that Rachel Elizabeth asked, and it was this. Did you have a happy childhood, or are you funny? (laughs) I'm funny. (laughs) (laughs) Take that to... Take that to mean what what you will, but I, no, no. Let's say I'm very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Isn't that like the best question though? I f- it's a really good question. And it's totally, I know it's a trope, but it's totally true. Whenever you meet anyone you think is funny, you just want to get to the point where you're like, okay, what's your damage? Like, where did this come from? Do our damages match or can I learn something new about another way you can be fucked up you know it's mm-hmm. like I have my way what's your way how did you get here and usually it's some like terrible trauma but because you're talking to a funny person they make it funny and you're like oh what happened who died who got hit by a what and then you're like cracking up and then later it's like oh man I'm really glad that I got to know that person but also, am I an asshole for laughing at all the stuff they told me in a funny way? I, people say yeah. that to me. They'll be like, you know, when you talk about your childhood, it makes me really sad. But also, I really laugh. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, please. I want mm. you to. I laugh. It's the only way that I'm okay is if I can like laugh about it. What went down that you had to get funny for? Well, I think, so I grew up super poor, but in a like weird sort of poverty where I was surrounded by a lot of people who had uh, money and parents. And when you're a kid, you don't really have any idea of who has what you just know, like what you don't have. For me, I had to find a way to sort of, uh, uh, I was going to say rationalize, but that's not the way to like see what I lacked and not feel bad about it, right? So it's like, Mm. I don't have all of this stuff. My mom was really sick and then she went into a nursing home and then I bounced around in like foster homes and stuff. And it's like, I this has to be funny or it'll kill me. I think that's Mm. my philosophy to this day. It's like, even in the most bleak of circumstances, I have to find like the joke in order to keep going because I am not a um a traditionally hopeful person (laughs) right I'm like oh I guess I can make it and so the laughter sort of keeps the I guess I can make it going it's so interesting because some people have a lot of us have the like it'll get better so the optimism Mm -hmm. we get through because we tell ourselves it's going to get better but your theory has always been no, I can just make the next five minutes more bearable. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I, if I can laugh at this thing. At, so my both my parents died when I was 18, not together, um, which would have been uh, cheaper, more emotionally, <laughs> more emotionally <laughs> economical for me. Um, <laughs> but, 
at my mom's funeral. So like, I was like 18. I mean, barely have a brain at 18, right? I couldn't deal with grief, but I also couldn't deal with people like looking at me because, you know, everyone's always looking at you. You're the star of the movie. And so we were at her funeral and it was like really sad. And my sisters and I are sitting in the front row and the minister who was performing the service didn't know my mom very well, but he knew my sister because it was at her, the church she went to. And my sister's name is Carmen. And he kept referring to my mom as Carmen. Oh my gosh. And when I tell you I was screaming, laughing, like by the end, <laughs> by like the fourth time, I was like falling over in the pew, laughing, and my sisters were laughing, and I was just like, okay, this is how we get through this, right? Like it's oh, terrible, yeah. and we're going to have to like sort through her stuff and figure out how much debt she was in and all that stuff, but to get through that moment we just were like crying laughing at this dude and like Carmen I mean I felt bad for her because like he kept saying Carmen (laughs) I was like shouldn't you climb in there like pointing to the casket It's just like, I'm going to beat your ass after this funeral. You have to find the one absurd thing and just like cling to that till you get through to a good place. Can I just say your your laughter, the way you laugh makes me happy. Me too. I feel happy. Yeah. Wow. What you just described at the funeral, this is my whole question about humor. Is humor a way to deflect and hide from reality, or is it actually the most real reality? Because it's mm-hmm. like everything's absurd all the time. Even <laughs> the very sorrowful things are outrageously absurd. <laughs> so are, are we like using it as a shield of armor to protect us from reality? Or is it actually the most active engagement with reality is to be like, this shit is funny. Uh, for me, I feel like it's the most active way to interact with reality. Although I would say, okay, sometimes with humor, I use it to protect myself. And I think like that developed early, right? Because I was like, I've always been a little fat kid with buck teeth, right? And nobody is uh, charitable to you. (laughs) 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 And so I, my my defense mechanism was always like, let's beat them to the joke. Where I grew up, I grew up in Evanston, which is just north of Chicago. It's where Northwestern is. I don't know if it still exists, but when I was growing up, there was this like community donation place called Esca. And all of the fancy people would like donate their clothes there. And those of us who were not fancy would get clothes from there. And because I was like a fat kid, I would always be like wearing someone's like dad's golf shirt to school, right? <laughs> and like, one day this girl's like, I think that's my dad's shirt. And I oh, could shit. have, you know, like in the movie version, I would like, you know, melt into a puddle and there would be some sort of lesson. But I was like, uh, he has great taste and the pits still smell like him. You know, like something disgusting, mm-hmm. but funny. Uh-huh. And yeah. uh, she was disarmed and I didn't feel bad for being poor. <laughs> we just like had that moment. And so it has served to protect me in that way. But I think as an adult, what you said about engaging with reality in a more real way, I think when you were always looking for the absurd thing you can't ignore any part of what's happening right it's like Mm. okay this sucks but I'm gonna dig through all the suck to see what's funny about it I think it makes like going through life less scary you know Mm. like and and I'm like a super anxious person if I look in the rearview mirror and a car is coming too close I feel like it's chasing me I mean like anxious for real but my way of dealing with that is just to really receive all of it and then pick out the part that'll make me laugh 
yeah. we'll, we'll see so how successful built. that continues to be as the world crumbles. But so far, <laughs> so far, it's worked. It's worked. Mm-hmm. I have a quick follow up to that. So in the yeah. shirt situation. Yeah. The funniness gets you through that moment, right? Yeah. Because you're disarming her. You're disarming you. You're taking it away. But is the underlying. Oh, I want to die. Yeah, you yeah. still have to deal with the underlying oh, stuff, absolutely. right? Oh, yes. You know, like okay. underneath that, it's like, I hate my mom for being poor. I hate my body for not fitting into cute things. Like, no, under the surface, I don't know that anyone would think I was like a, a flighty, frivolous person. But under the surface of the funny is like, you know, molten lava of rage, right? And disappointment mm-hmm. and hurt and all of these things that uh, like I was born into are not my fault. Like that's always there. But if I Mm -hmm. engage with that all the time, I couldn't get out of bed. Right. Like I would just Mm -hmm. be like, Oh, (laughs) why, why was I put on earth to suffer? So I'll make the jokes and, uh, but it's like fueled by the, the rage lava within it's like the stereotyping of comedians in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like how so many comedians have this like low level rage running underneath all of their jokes. Like yes. to me, it's their way of coping. But I also wonder for you, how are you actually like dealing with that stuff that's actually underneath it? Like what are things that you're doing? Oh, that's that make good. You... Is it always a deflection? Or yeah, because you got to look at it. You got to present it. You got to turn it over and actually mm-hmm. deal with it in moments, in, in, even if they're private. Yeah. What's happening with the lava? Well, sometimes <laughs> the lava gets worked out in my work. Like that's the mm-hmm. beauty of writing about myself is that I can sit in front of a computer and sort through it. I just, well, I shouldn't say just for the past year, I've been going to therapy, which Mm. is interesting. Well, you could tell me (laughs) therapy is interesting in general. So I chose a cognitive behavioral therapist Uh, uh and I don't like therapy. Let's just Mm -hmm. say that. My therapist, the things she tells me are sort of the antithesis of what I do, right? So I fuel myself off my negative thoughts. Like my jokes come from there. My writing comes from there. My therapist is always like, let's reframe those negative thoughts. And I'm like, girl, I have- Are you going to give me a book deal? Are you going to give me a book deal? (laughs) I just signed a three book deal, girl. I need these thoughts to be negative. (laughs) Um, <laughs> it's so complicated because your 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 livelihood depends on it in some yeah. ways. How do you deal with that? That's yeah. so Are you ch- becoming positive, Sam? No. <laughs> Wait until you read. I just finished writing one, and it's snarkier than ever. I have a whole chapter okay. snarking about therapy um, and why I'm paying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paying all this money. To argue with the woman. I mean, we don't argue, but in my head, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not thinking uh-huh. positively about that. Uh-huh. So it's like a huge waste of time and I should probably find a different kind of therapy. But one of the things we're working on is boundaries and knowing when to say no. So as soon as she gets me to the point where I learn how to say no, I'm going to tell her no. And- <laughs> Okay, so is there anything that's been helpful? Have you experienced anything in that room that has been helpful for your lava? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so one thing I like to do with her is come up with strategies. And I've come up with two life-changing, earth-shattering strategies. I'm going to give them to you. I haven't written about them. No one knows. Okay, my first one is a strategy I call, I like it. So I I have found, and I'm sure you guys know too, when you say, you could say anything. Oh man, that episode of nine one one. I love that show. That episode of nine one one was really great. There's always going to be somebody who's like, you watch that? And it's like, you know, yes. And like people expect you to apologize for what you like. Yes, yes. It's like strangers 
are like expecting you to justify your taste. And I have found that if you just say, I like it, it completely kneecaps them. Right. That's right. It's so weird. Once I started doing it, I noticed all the ways I had to get something from a strip mall. And (laughs) this lady was like, oh, that's where you go. I don't have any allegiance to the strip mall, but I don't like this lady (laughs) making me feel like an asshole. So I was like, I like it. And then she was like, uh, and I was like, yeah, I like it. That strip mall is great. (laughs) (laughs) Just can't say anything. They're just like, uh, so that's strategy one. Strategy two, this one is a little harder and it's more recent. But when people act like in a way that shows you that they don't like you, telling them that you don't think they like you is <sighs> it changes everything it gets oh you out my of things gosh. so i had this interaction with this person i've known for a long time and this is a thing about like sort of being funny my humor is always pro- uh, projected internally right like i don't pick on people i don't make fun of people i don't care what anybody does i am the villain of all my stories so i pick on myself I think you sometimes in. I do. Punch I punch in. In. <laughs> I'm like a T Rex, <laughs> my tiny arms punching in. <laughs> Just picture me with my little arms, my little rock'em sock'em robot arms punching myself. Um, and sometimes that gives people, uh, they take license and like sort of punch me too. And it's like, wow, well, this is a single person game. Like, you can laugh at it, but I don't want you to, you know, rag on me all the time. So there's this woman who every interaction, she was just like low-key putting me down, but also being like, haha, we're friends, right? And <sighs> she asked me to hang out. This was a while ago. She asked me to hang out, and I was like, oh, no thanks. <laughs> and she was like, why? And I was like, because I don't think you like me. <sighs> And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I just don't think you like me. And she was like, I'm surprised to hear that. And she didn't say, I do like you. She said, <laughs> I'm surprised to hear that. And I was I'm like, surprised you I picked bet up you what are. I was like. I was like, I bet you are surprised to hear that. Because you just thought I would keep taking it and keep letting exactly. you, like, you know, piss in my face and tell me it's raining. And I just don't think you like me. And she, the way we ended it, she was just like, oh, okay. And I was like, okay, bye. (laughs) Wow. It's worth all the money just for those two strategies alone. Because my therapist is very like, I mean, you guys know when you make things for people and you feel um a duty to your audience. I want to be open to people. I want to engage with people. I want them to keep in, you know, engaging with, i.e. buying the things <laughs> that I'm trying to sell. <laughs> engaging with. <laughs> but at some point, you just have to be like, okay, okay, I got to set a boundary here. I got to say no to this. I got to do whatever. It has been very helpful in at least in like changing the dynamic of people who talk to me. I mean, I'm sure that there's a a deep dive that I'm missing here about like maybe the way I talk about myself should change. I'm not ready to conquer that. No, we're not there yet. You're not letting anybody else punch in. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That step one is just to find ways to like deflect. So that has been helpful. But I mean, the rest of therapy, I don't know. We're going to keep going. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to get too fixed, right? Like, No. I- yeah, but I think that that's a really important thing to say for those that are listening, because you don't have to like therapy to continue to go and yeah. actually get something out of it. Yeah. That's really courageous to know. I don't like this, but I'm I've gotten a couple things out of it that I feel really good about. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to keep going because like maybe there will be a third thing or go like take what you need and then be like, I think you've taken me as far. I don't want to be fixed all the way. I'm out of here. (laughs) 
I don't want to be fixed. I am trying to picture her face if I say I don't want to be fixed all the way. And just imagining that is going to make me keep going because I don't want to see it when she's like, "Mm, don't worry. (laughs) You're you're not even close. There's there's not an imminent threat of being (laughs) fixed. Cute that you thought that. Cute that you thought you were uh, improving in any way, but uh, (laughs) you need to keep seeing me. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) My therapist's favorite phrase, once a session, there's so much fertile ground here. So yes. much fertile ground. Oh. So yeah, yeah. Don't How does worry. that make you feel? I'm happy for her because <laughs> I feel like she's very excited about all the opportunities we have to work mm-hmm. on very many things. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you are feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Their specialized recruiting professionals engage with their proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Speaking of helpful, you are the mastermind behind one of the most revolutionary groundbreaking portrayals Mm -hmm. of big women on screen ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm obviously talking about the Fat Babe Pool Party episode of Shrill, mm-hmm. which became just instant classic, so important to so many people. Can you tell us why you wrote that and what that whole process was like for you? Yeah. So um, Shrill is based on Lindy West's memoir of the same name. And Lindy and I are very close friends. TV writing is so weird. It was my first TV job and we're in the room and we wanted to take the character from this place of being kind of meek and putting up with a bad dude and putting up with a job that sucked to this point where she was like bold, not all the way bold. You know, we wanted to do more than one season. So a little bit more bold (laughs) and vocal (laughs) and sticking up for herself. And so we were brainstorming ideas for like a big, pivotal uh, experience she could have that would change her. Now, everybody knows like in real life, it takes years and years and years and years of like looking at looking at tumblers of fat bodies, looking at, you know, it's not just an overnight kind of thing, but Um, Hulu wasn't going to give us, you know, 700 episodes for the first season. So we had to figure out a transformative experience she could have. And so Lindy and I were talking about all of the different things we had been to that sort of changed our ideas about fatness. And I talked about there used to be this dance party for fat girls in Chicago that would meet like once a month. And I would go to that, uh, clothing swaps, um, like lots of different like websites and stuff, but there's no way to show that on TV. And Lindy had gone to one of, I think Essie Golden started this party called the Chunky Dunk. It may not have been, Essie Golden had a pool party and there were other pool parties and Lindy had gone to a bunch of them and it was like, let's do that. We have to do that. We want to see Mm. that showing women who look like us that they are beautiful and making this thing. So we, we landed on a pool party um, and we figured out what was going to be in the other episodes. And then when it got to the time of like assigning the showrunner assigned me the pool party episode Mm. and I, you know, was like, okay, I'll write it. You know, like I was like, excited and so I when I was writing it I was just like I want to see almost like a real life 
Candyland, like just beautiful, bright. I didn't want it to be at the dingy hotel pool in like a rundown Sheridan or whatever. No shade to the Sheridan or some like (laughs) sleazy hotel. I really wanted it just to be like almost like a dream um, because we deserve that. Right. So I wrote it. I turned it in. The writer's room ended. Then I came back home to Michigan and um, they all went to Portland to shoot. And so Lindy was like, you got to come out for your episode. And I was a little nervous because what you imagine is rarely what the real thing turns out to be. I also did not understand like television budgets and that kind of thing. So I was like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I just hope, I hope it's good. You know, I flew out to Portland and my biggest concern though, other than how it looked was I was like, Oh, it's just going to be like Hollywood fat people. Mm, It's going to be a bunch mm. of like size eights and tens and not (laughs) size 32s and 40s. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's so, when you aren't in charge of anything, like I'm a very let go and let God kind of person. But also Mm. I knew what it could mean if we could do it the right way, if we could do it Mm. our way. So we drive out to this country club and they were like, Sam, go look at the pool. So I went and looked at the pool and like, I almost burst into tears. It was, the set was so beautiful. It was just like all these beautiful floaties and like the stands they set up, like everything looked so gorgeous. And I was like, okay, okay. And then Lindy was like, let's go talk to the extras and they had everybody inside like the ballroom of this like beautiful country club and we go in and I walked around the corner and I just saw all of these gorgeous women of all sizes all abilities like there was a woman in a wheelchair and there are women on crutches and there are like non-binary people and it just was like so beautiful. Everyone's in bathing suits, which was so great. The costume people were designing things on site for people just so they, no one was in a utilitarian, you know, like basic bathing suit. Like everyone's in gorgeous caftans and beautiful, bright colors. They had hair and makeup for everybody. And it was just like, and there were so many people and I was like, oh, this is astonishing. Like I threw, I didn't have words. I thought what was going to happen was what happens always is they were going to like throw, you know, three size tens in a pool and be like, there's your party. But it was really gorgeous. And everyone was like so cared for and it was really beautiful. And the entire time I was just sitting in, the video village just like watching the monitors i can't believe they let us do this like that was Mm -hmm. really my overall feeling was like it felt like we were getting away with something i cannot Mm -hmm. believe they let us do this and then they let us be in it i don't know if you saw my brief by the pool and i was like okay if i never work on another episode of tv again Uh, Mm -hmm. it'll be fine like we Mm. really did something special and then it came out and it just looked so gorgeous magic it's so beautiful and everyone did such a great job it is like one of my crowning achievements was getting Mm -hmm. to work I have a quick follow-up yeah who decides because you say they let us do this somebody chose Mm -hmm. to actually do it in the vision in which you wrote it yeah, who's that? You person? say let go, let God, but like somebody in that role in the TV world, it's an important role. Yeah. You said they got it right. Yeah. Who is that person? So Lindy was executive producer, but you know, there's like many ranks. So I think Lindy was mm-hmm. step one in being like, this got to be good. It's got to be right. And then Hulu, whoever the executives were at mm-hmm. Hulu, whoever like green lights the money. So, you know, TV crew people, they're like hardcore. They're dressed in black. They have lots yeah. of carabiners and hats. They're very yes. serious. <laughs> and in Portland, yes. they like look like Portland like messenger uh. bike bros. 
And so I was walking <laughs> back to the car after the second day of shooting. This guy comes up. He is just like, like covered in tattoos, like real gruff looking. And he's like, are you Sam Irby? And I was like, uh-oh, yes. And he was like, I just wanted to tell you what an honor it is to have worked on this episode. And I was uh. like, okay, <laughs> that's great. This person who, I mean, I don't know his uh, relationship to fat women, but like he, I wouldn't guess that he was like, a guy right. who would uh, be in touch with with us and our issues, and he appreciated it. That was like the very beginning of like, oh, okay, we're doing a thing. Yeah, it's sort of it was apparent. If you think about it too long, it's like a shame that this yeah. was the first event of its kind, and that it was so meaningful. Like the hope is that we can make so many more shows and episodes like this that it's not an anomaly, and we don't need to celebrate it but it was very cool um just in that moment to have him acknowledge it and then since it's been out to have people be like that meant so much to me that's very cool think about how delicately you hold your baby you dress your baby and you feed your baby we do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry healthy, and beautiful. And when you use swaddlers in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Speaking of dudes and carabiners, I find this part of you very interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. You approach friendship in a very different place than a lot of people I know. You can be friends. Well, your friend, you, you can be, you're friends with a dude who wears a Budweiser belt buckle unironically. <laughs> what? Right? Yes. Like, so this is hard for me to do because I don't know. I, I weed people out care. I guess I believe that people's belief systems as might be manifested in their belt buckles are <laughs> parts of their character. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I want to learn from you in this. How, tell me how this works for you. Cause you can be friends with anybody. Yeah, I, I can. For me, it's like, are you, are you funny? And can you take a joke? Right. That's like the primary thing. It's like, can we have a laugh? Cause all I'm trying to do is be laughing all the time. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not a clown, but I like to let's, let's clown around. Let's have fun. So if mm -hmm. you can be fun and if you think I'm funny, oh, let's go back and say, if you think I'm funny, you're halfway through the door, right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're delighted by something I've said? Come on in, murderer. You know what I mean? That is totally me. That is you. If somebody laughs at a single joke, I'm like, we're the besties. That, yes. That we're, yes. We are soulmates. Oh, you think I'm funny? Come, let me give you yes. my pin. You know what I mean? I have the kind of personality that just, I don't know, I can just get along with a lot of people. I think I have been fortunate enough that I haven't ever tried to befriend someone who was so different from me, like politically, that it's been a problem. Like, mm. I don't have any friends who hate gay people or trans people. I don't have any friends who are like hardcore conservatives. I have a lot of like, friends that I think you'd be like, mm, what do y'all bond over? And then I'll be like, well, I watch wrestling. And then like, it explains that friendship. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> 
<laughs> you're like, oh, you have a very narrow like way of of connecting with this person. And sometimes for me, that's all it takes is we can have a shared interest in one thing and we don't have to get into other things, you know? Like, that is so good. Yeah. It's don't you wish, don't no, you wish? No, that, that is exactly like that? how I feel. I know, babe. And you have a barrier to entry that is so fucking long. That's why I asked <laughs> and him. I'm, okay, I'm trying to learn. No, this. I think it's so beautiful because I can can connect with somebody on one mm-hmm. thing and in yeah. a lot of ways. I can ignore a bunch of the other shit that I'm seeing that I'm like, well, I like them in this way. Yeah. And this is fun. Me too. I think, so I'm not going to guess, Glennon, why you have your rules, but I am going to, so if this is kind of a guess, I'm going to say that I don't need to have, and this is not shade, an intimate, like soul relationship with everybody. Uh... Right? Like, I don't need to get to the depths of people if we're just like having a laugh or like we can talk about, you know, this one thing. Sometimes those narrow friendships like branch out and grow, but I don't go into things being like, okay, I'm going to meet this person and I'm going to hang out with them. And then I want to know everything about them. Some people, you don't, you know, you don't want to know. You don't want them to know everything about you. So I think because I don't look at everyone as like a a potential like soul friend, because I'm just like, well, this is just my buddy who I do this with. Then Mm -hmm. it's easier to to like let some of that other stuff fall away. I feel like you want to have deep friendships with yeah. everyone. Yes. I think that's what I'm usually, if someone's in my house watching wrestling, Sam, which <laughs> wouldn't happen, but okay. I am thinking, I'm side-eyeing that person thinking, is this person one of my soulmates or right, not? Right. And then when they roll their eyes at the wrong commercial, it's over, <laughs> you know? And it's I, really so something. I respect that because like the quality of your friendships is probably really great because you like yes everyone i'm people. friends with is on this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> well so that's, that's the good. thing is well and i think it feels like rude to call someone an acquaintance but that's essentially the difference right it's like yes we're friends because i know you inside and out you know me inside and out our acquaintances who were just like oh bob yeah he's a good time we don't need to know Bob's soul. And like, yeah. but it feels rude <laughs> yeah. to call Bob an acquaintance because that just is like a rude word. So uh, we, yeah. need a, we need like a capital S friend and a lowercase yes. S Yes, yes. We friend. need different words for friends. Yes. We need yeah. different words for friends because I don't want to say Bob's my friend because I don't want that to reflect. Right. The next thing Bob says this and then you're like, wait, right. why are you friends with that dude? Right. Different words. Right. But yes. don't you think it all goes back to your view of life? Like, Sam, your view of life is I want to find the absurd. I want to experience the absurd. I want to mm-hmm. be part of seeing, being part of this, experiencing this. And so you intersect with people who can bring that out of you or share that experience with you. Glennon's view of life is very different (laughs) than that. She's like, I'm going to have a very narrow but deep experience of life. And I don't actually want to participate in any extracurriculars. Right. (laughs) I do not want any depth whatsoever. I told you that's where (laughs) the lava is. We can only dip a toe in there before like things get dangerous. So I oh, try to stay yes. near the top of the volcano where it's like yes. smoky and sexy and fun, but I only get into the lava with a few people. Because and I'll tell Sam, you why. that makes perfect it, sense. I'm not gonna that put it on them. Sense. I'm gonna say that I have like that fear of when people really get like down and see what's in there that they're going to be like, Oh, bye. And that's one of Mm -hmm. the hazards I think of like being a funny person, not just in life, but in my career is that sometimes people don't think that lower level exists. And then they are Mm -hmm. surprised when they get a glimpse of it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, all I do is write about depression. How do you think that manifests itself for real? So I think like having lowercase f friends, um, <laughs> it like feels good to the ego. It's good to know people. It's good to have people around. But also 
I'm not in danger of finding out any of their dark shit and they're not in danger of finding out any of mine and thus rejecting me on account of that darkness. So it's good. It's a safety measure. So good. I get that. I get that. Do you sometimes feel responsibility to just always be funny and always be doing the thing with other people? No, yeah, like entertaining them. I do. It never bothers me until I have a problem and I talk about it to someone who wants funny Sam. And they're like, oh, just laugh it off. And I'm like, no, no, this is the part where you find out that I um, got to go to bed for three days about it. Sometimes it takes like a little distance. I can always laugh at things, maybe not in the moment or mm-hmm. the next day. Eventually I'll get there. There have been people who can't deal with the in the moment, like I'm not over this yet. And then, yes. you know, that's never going to be your capital F friend. Always going to be a mm-hmm. lowercase. Never call that person when you have a problem. Never expect more from them than the surface that you're getting. And I think sometimes like people divide themselves into those categories for you. My friend John, who I met like on the internet forever ago, um, this was like 10 years ago, maybe I had posted that I was in the hospital And we were just internet friends then. And he came and visited and was the only person who visited. And I was like, oh, you want to be here during this stuff? (laughs) Okay, we're real friends. But I never put that pressure on anyone because I know not everybody wants that. I like to let, I like to do a little sorting of my own and then let people do, sort themselves into their capital F or lowercase F, you know. Mm. I love that. Speaking of capital F, friends, can yeah. we talk about your lady a little bit? Yeah. So your lady, is it Kirsten or Kirsten? It's Kirsten. Thank okay. you for it. You got so, it right off. Oh, my God. she's Now she's going to be your lady since you got her name right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be like, Glennon said what? Bye. Like, okay. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Okay. So. You two, didn't you yeah. meet? Did she reach out to you? Yeah. She slid into your DMs, didn't she? She slid yeah. into well, your she DMs. She tweeted so- me. And this was <laughs> like back when I was still like looking at uh, people saying things to me on Twitter who I didn't know. Now I'm not even on yeah. Twitter anymore. But she tweeted that she loved the book. And then we got into one of those like tweet conversations. And I'm not a private person. But I do not like to conduct a public conversation. Like, if we're going to talk, she kept responding. And I was like, bitch, get into my inbox. I mean, both of them. But get into my inbox. So (laughs) (laughs) then we started DMing. And then I was like, it reached a level that I was like, is this? This isn't casual anymore. Mm-hmm. But with women, at least with this woman, it was never like, oh, I could, I want to fuck. It was just like, I'm talking all, to you all the time. And I was yes. like, okay, I'm okay, girl. You know, like, okay. And then, so we just, we graduated to talking a lot. And then at, at a certain point, I was like, listen, this is getting romantic. Are we, is this? Is this romantic? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, great. And then we then we started sort of talking. That was brave of you. That was a very brave thing to say, is this getting romantic? How did you muster that up? I think that's showing the lava. That's showing the lava. Yeah. Well, we had been talking for so long that I was like, I don't know. And it's hard to know when people like want you or want the book you or, you know. And so like we had talked past the point where I thought, oh, she's just like a fan. This is something else. And but it was also so much talking that I was like, I cannot be talking to a person who doesn't want to buy me dinner. I need an ROI on all of this (laughs) talking. I'm like, she, my thumb is getting fractured from texting this person. What are we doing? 
So then I, that I am not brave, but in that moment I was brave and was like, yes, what are, what are we doing? And I, like I said it in a way that was like, if she was like, oh, we're just talking, it would be, I could like laugh it off and, you know, in case I had shown vulnerability <laughs> uh, too yes. soon. So yeah, we, we just started talking and then I lived in Chicago. She lived in Michigan and she came and we went to brunch and I, I brought a friend because I was like, what if this person, <gasps> I know. You did not. Sam, you did not. Sam, I know Sam. it was so bad. It was some, she roasts me to this day. <laughs> <laughs> but my friend left and then we went to coffee after the brunch and I was like, okay, this is, this is. A did you know? Thing. Like that day, did you, or was it a slow burn or was it like? It was slow because she, so she was coming out of a marriage and she had two kids who were like five and seven at the time. So I certainly wasn't rushing to get into (laughs) that. You're like, call me when they're 18. I still am like, call me when they're 18. (laughs) One is 16 and I'm like, two more years and get your ass out of here. No, he's actually like really lovely. But I still am like, TikTok kids, (laughs) our real life is going to start as soon as you guys leave. So it was, it forced us to be slow. Like I didn't meet the kids Mm. for a year. We really took our time and we lived in different places. So it was good that we really took our time. And I also was really cognizant of you got to do your relationship grieving. You got to do all. I needed her to do all of her stuff and make sure that she was on board. And it was good. We took a long time. And then I was like, oh, your health insurance is better than mine. I'm moving to Michigan. <laughs> Are you done? Are you done like, with your grieving? Blue Cross? <laughs> get, get the U-Haul. <laughs> Let's get <Yeah>. <laughs> Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location. It's the neighborhood. It's so much more. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with state rankings and student-to-teacher ratios. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. So what is your life like now? You're in, in Michigan. You're, you've got the two kids. You do not consider yourself a step-parent. I don't. Correct? I consider myself an adjacent adult who can pay <laughs> yes. for things and drive yes. to things. My stepkids are great. They're really great. They're funny. Um, and they're like charming. Like they're all the stuff you want. They've always been like good kids. The problem, I mean, mm-hmm. I shouldn't even say it's a problem. It's me. I am not parental. I am not unconditional. <laughs> I'm very yeah. like, oh, you didn't wash that plate after all the money I spent. You know what I mean? Like the worst, <laughs> the worst things that you like. You know how like you when you're a kid, you're like, man, when I'm older and I'm around kids, I'm going to be so cool. Like, I'm not. I have to stop myself from being like, do you know how much that chair that you're standing up on costs? And I don't say it, but I feel in my yeah. soul that I want to say it. So <laughs> it's not. so refreshing that you're telling the truth about this. Thank I, you. You know, I, I don't know how parents do it. There was a reason I didn't have kids because like I knew that I would just 
be the worst version. Like I'd buy the kid everything and do all the stuff and I'm sure I would teach it to read, but I also would be like, I'm taking that iPad if you don't do exactly what I say right now. So I don't think of myself as a step parent because I don't, I don't like tell them what to parent? do. I don't, yeah, I don't parent. I don't tell them what to do. I don't say you should study this. Like we hang out, we watch movies. I'm like their cool aunt who yeah, has sex with their mom. That's great. <laughs> okay. One of my favorite things that you write about is your belief in not FOMO, but JOMO, not the fear of missing out, but the joy of missing out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I feel like, especially, you you know, activities, you said you have finally learned that no one else is ever having a better time than you are. Like everything like, sucks never. and everywhere everyone is never. sucks, right? Literally I would disagree. Never. Okay. I'm Abby, a joy you are a person who, I mean, I know you love to be in the mix. You love to go to stuff. Yeah. You love to be there. You love to talk to people. I am in awe of a person like you, but not, I would never want to be that or you. <laughs> yes. Or you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I because love the mix. you can do it, but I, never. No. The mix is the thing that should be avoided. Yes. The mix. Yes. Okay. But it's not that it's just the joy of missing out on the event. Mm -hmm. You have taught us about the joy of missing out on having a take on fucking everything. Okay. Uh. This is one of my favorite. So Sam's talking about or writing about the idea that she's supposed to have an opinion or a take on every single thing that happens in the world. And this is one of my favorite that ever was said. One of the reasons I give a lot of disclaimers is because we give so much weight to what people say who maybe we should not be listening to. I do want to remind people, don't ask me about the news. I don't watch the news. I haven't read a history book since 1997. I am keenly aware of what I know and what I don't know. One of the things I don't know is anything smart or important that needs to be told to other people. <laughs> Let's just take a moment it's with that true. sentence. true. It's true. We live in this time of like racing to get your take out. And I yes. am always considering the source. And the source is rarely a person who is smart or thoughtful <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Every time I see an infographic, I'm like, who said that? Where'd they go to school? What's yeah. their qualification? Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. I just yes. don't, I am not interested in anything like regular people think they know about big things. You ate at a breakfast place that was terrible? Tell me about that. I don't want to hear their take on like global politics or whatever. Let's leave that to the experts. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean? If you can prove to me that you read a book on the subject that you are pontificating on, then maybe I'll listen. I probably won't, but maybe. <laughs> I'm just this thing where like, because someone said it loud, we got to listen is bonkers to me. I don't know anything. I can tell you I had a Starbucks this morning that was delicious. You could believe that. I went to high school. In like yeah. 40 years ago, how old am I? I'm 42. However many years ago, I graduated at 17. Someone else was, I'm not even smart enough to do the math to tell you how long ago that I graduated you're, high you're school. You're class of 98. <laughs> Don't listen That's right. to anything I say that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't attempt to say anything smart about anything. I can only tell you about my little aunt of an experience in terms of like this giant world. Well, I think Sam, that, that your is aunt of an experience <laughs> profound on this giant world has helped so many of us oh. just find the absurd to make the next five minutes a little bit more tolerable. That's what you do for all of us. Thank you. And what I she just said though, is so profound about consider the stores. Like that is actually really important. We take everybody's word at face value. It's like, oh, this thing was written on my Twitter feed. I say shit to you sometimes and you're like, who wrote that? And I'm like, I don't know. 
we're all susceptible of believing everything we hear and read. Like, yeah. so I love that. Yeah. I but I think the amazing. reverse is also equally important that in this age where everyone is called to be an individual expert on myriad things happening in the world, that it is okay to be a listener. Yes. Not everyone needs to be speaking all the time. It is okay to take your moment and learn your thing and just be a receiver as opposed to a distributor Mm -hmm. of news. So smart. No, that that is it. Just listen. Shut up and listen is the (laughs) Oh, that's our next right thing. Less the less uh uh sophisticated way of saying that. Shut the fuck up and listen. (laughs) (laughs) and with that we can do hard things love bugs like shut the fuck up (laughs) we will see you next time on we can do hard things sam arby thank you for this hour and thank you for who you are in the world thank you for having me what a joy i'm glad i didn't miss out on this yeah also next right thing find one person to share your lava with oh Oh, just find one we only oh. need one. You can have friends with all the belt buckles you need, but one for the lot. <laughs> I love this so much. This Sam, was so you're great. You're awesome. You guys, Bye, y'all. I love you. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire. I came out the other side. Chase desire I made sure I got what's mine And I continued to
We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine. Thank you.